Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, March 6th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. More than 100,000 cases of coronavirus now confirmed around the world as President Trump authorizes more than $8 billion to combat the outbreak. Senator Elizabeth Warren is now out of the presidential race, leaving the top two contenders, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, in a battle for her endorsement. And the clock is running out for the Trump administration as it tries to save one of the cornerstones of its immigration agenda, the Remain in Mexico policy. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with the growing coronavirus outbreak. It has now killed more than 3,300 people, and there are more than 100,000 cases in more than 80 countries and territories. Here in the United States, Pennsylvania and Maryland, join the list of states with cases as the total number of infections nationwide, according to tracking by Johns Hopkins University, climbs to 239 with 14 confirmed deaths. Lorraine Gassides has today's update on this situation. This is the scene at airports around the country, people covered with masks. Yeah, I have my hand sanitizer, I have my Lysol. I mean, I'm wiping down, I'm trying not to use the bathroom, I'm trying not to buy anything to drink here or anything. So yeah, I'm just trying to keep it safe as possible. Many refusing to let the virus change their plans. On my first cruise, so that's a little, uh, people are saying you're still gonna do it, yeah. I'm still going to go and I'm going to have a great time. Do the best you can. It's not going to stop me from traveling or, you know, live my life. Some people are going crazy. You know, you have to be as careful as you can. That's all you can do. Seattle has seen the virus spread to at least 70 patients. The city's iconic Pipe Place Market, normally bustling with tourists and shoppers, on Thursday virtually deserted. Overnight, Microsoft and LinkedIn confirming one worker from each company tested positive for the virus, leading to a big question. How will companies around the country deal with employees that are placed in quarantine? In California, State Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez of San Diego just introduced a new bill to protect workers quarantined in a public health emergency. SB 3123 ensures they can use their sick days, adds protections if they're out of them, and safeguards them from retaliation or discrimination. Meanwhile, back in Washington, in Kirkland, the Life Care Nursing Home has seen at least eight of its residents die. Families are outraged at the CDC, the facility, and local authorities for refusing to test asymptomatic residents, even though they had roommates who died of the illness. She's not showing symptoms. She doesn't have a fever. She's not coughing. Harris County, Texas, home of Houston, confirming three cases overnight. In New York, the number of cases growing to more than 20, at least 18 of those linked to a Westchester County lawyer who is still hospitalized. The other cases have had no known contact with the infected individual. Over 2,700 people in the state are currently self-quarantined. Emma is a college sophomore from Connecticut. Her study abroad program to Italy was cut short and her school school has ordered her to stay in quarantine for 14 days. She's only on day three. It's been very lonely over here. I haven't really gotten to spend time with my family since I've been home. Um, I've been allowed to like pet my dog every once in a while, but it's pretty lonely. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, growing fear and outrage in New Hampshire, where an employee of Dartmouth Hitchcock Medical Center returned from a trip to Italy symptomatic. He had been told to self-isolate but broke the quarantine, attending a party. Now both he and another person linked to him have been confirmed as New Hampshire's first two cases. Global markets slumped again today, a growing sign that the outbreak will lead to a sharp economic downturn. So far, about $9 trillion has been wiped off global stocks in just nine days. Back to you, Andrea. Lorraine, thanks so much for that report. And more than 3,500 people are stuck on board a cruise ship off the coast of California as the ship awaits coronavirus test results. And today, they may learn their fate. Medical personnel have tested 45 people, both guests and crew, and more tests are being done today. As of now, all guests have been asked to stay in their rooms while results are pending. The captain says they are discussing with the CDC when to allow guests to access the open deck. Meanwhile, President Trump's visit to the Centers for Disease Control is back on the schedule for today. This after he signed a bill that allocates $8.3 billion to fight the coronavirus outbreak. Janet Rodriguez joins me from Washington, D.C. with much more. Janet, what can you tell us? Right, and there's been a flurry of activities here at the White House this morning. The original plan was for the president to travel down to Atlanta to the CDC. And once there, he was going to sign that funding bill that gives him $8.3 billion to combat the coronavirus. But first thing in the morning, that trip was canceled by the White House. The White House saying that the president didn't want to interfere with the work that was being done at the CDC. And a little later, we heard from the president directly. He said that actually what happened was that there was a person who was suspected to have contracted the coronavirus working at the CDC. That person was being tested and he didn't want to go down and possibly expose himself and his team and interfere with the work that was being done there. But that person has now, we now know, has tested negative and the president said that the trip would go on. And sure enough, the president is turning his plane from uh, Tennessee where he's visiting the tornado hit area and on to Atlanta where he will tour uh, the CDC and the efforts being taken place there to combat the coronavirus. Now onto the bill, the $8.3 billion that the president did sign this morning will go to HHS mainly to combat the virus, trying to find a vaccine, but also will go throughout the U.S. to those local communities that are trying to fight the coronavirus in their towns to help their efforts to contain the virus and to treat those sick people who have contracted uh, the virus. Here is what the president had to say as an update to what's currently going on. I said calm. You have to be calm. It'll go away. Uh, we do have a situation where we have this massive ship with 5,000 people and we have to make a decision. You know, it's a big decision because we have very low numbers compared to major countries throughout the world. Our numbers are lower than just about anybody. Now, the president will remain in Florida over the weekend of uh, there. He would give us more updates on the coronavirus. Uh, we do expect the president to continue talking about it for the next few days. And the vice president, of course, will continue holding his daily briefings here at the White House. Back to you. Thank you, Janet Rodriguez. 
And the fear of contracting the coronavirus also hitting home with Uber and Lyft drivers, especially those who have to drop off and pick up passengers at the country's international airport terminals. Viviana Avila in Chicago spoke to several drivers. Some admit that in order to avoid contracting this virus, they sometimes cancel a passenger's ride if they don't feel safe. Grecia Lastra has more. La transportación es la mejor manera de transmitir. Transportation is the best way to spread disease quickly. Victor has been an Uber driver for four years now and admits that nowadays with the coronavirus outbreak, he doesn't feel so safe when he goes to Chicago's O'Hare Airport. I've been avoiding going to the airport a little bit, but it all depends on whether things get worse. His colleagues who are waiting at the airport admit that they would cancel trips if they felt at risk of contracting the virus. When I see that it is Terminal 5, which is international trips, and I see that they are Asian, I already take precautions and cancel the trips because it is dangerous. Others say that they have been afraid, but that they have not denied service to international travelers. I had a passenger here. She was from China. She had the mask and I, wow, that scared me a little bit. But at least she was covered. Rafael Vasquez travels daily to both Chicago airports and has received instructions on his cell phone from the transportation companies he works for. Both Uber and Lyft recommended that we be careful if we picked up someone we suspected of having the flu or any virus symptoms, that we report it, and also that we don't work if we feel sick. In the case of Luis, he simply says to avoid panicking about the coronavirus. The more afraid you are, the more you can be prone to the virus. Uber said in a statement that we have implemented restrictions on employees who have traveled to China, northern Italy, Iran and South Korea. And to our knowledge, there have been no cases of coronavirus transmission from an Uber passenger or driver. Reported by Viviana Avila, this is Gianni Aponte for U News. Some experts say classrooms and schools are virus incubators, and with the rapid spread of coronavirus, there is major concern around school plans. Peggy Carranza has more from New York City. The coronavirus is creating anxiety among students and parents, especially in New York City, the largest school district in the U.S., with almost one million students. Guidance um, and protocols that were sent to all 152,000 employees in the, in the DOE today um, with very specific instructions. We've also updated our guidance uh, to all principals about how to work with students, how to work with other staff members. The United Nations revealed School closures in 22 countries affected nearly 300 million students. According to this organization, the current educational disruption is unparalleled and disadvantaged children tend to be hit the hardest. In Italy, the suspension of classes is nationwide until March 15. In Washington State and New York, some schools were also closed. Some parents fear these closures. It's very difficult for working mothers, working parents in, in general, to just stay home with the kids. And uh, it, it's just going to create an economic chaotic situation. Others support the school closings. I feel if the schools needed to close, that would probably be the best thing for everyone. Because I feel kids carry the most germs and 
um, especially I have a pre-K and they are constantly getting sick. I think that's probably the best thing for them to do. This member of the New York City Council Education Committee said, what's the plan in case of a prolonged school closure? We have the capacity to provide alternative way of how our students will keep learning. Teacher can provide a educational package that they can take, that they can work for the numbers of days or weeks. As a precaution, a large number of schools increase their cleaning protocols, sanitizing their surface areas more frequently. In New York City, Peggy Carranza, EU News. A lot of people are understandably concerned about what would happen if they do contract the coronavirus. The question many people ask is, how would they be treated in hospitals? At Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami Beach, they are preparing isolation rooms for patients who may have this virus. Ailen del Toro took a tour of this facility and shows us what, pr what procedures they employ. If a patient comes to the emergency room with symptoms such as a fever after traveling to countries that have experienced the largest coronavirus outbreaks, the doctors will give him or her a surgical mask and accompany the patient to an isolation room. The doctor who treats the patient will put on a mask to cover their nose and mouth and eye protector. The protocol to deal with a potentially infected patient requires only the doctors and nurses necessary for treatment to enter the room to minimize the contacts between the patient and others. The room has several amenities including a bed, a television, even a private bathroom. But what makes it unique is that it has filtration system that prevents air from escaping and for that, we have this little device that once the door is open, the ball moves and in a matter of 18 seconds, an alarm sounds so you can warn the doctors and they can come immediately. The fact that the air does not leave the room and is filtered to the outside ads, to all the advanced equipment, they have to monitor the heart, blood oxygen, blood pressure, temperature. When the patient is admitted, the first test that will be done is the influenza test. Patients are more likely to test positive for the flu than coronavirus. How high is the probability of getting the coronavirus? According to the Dr. Farsi, the probability is very small. Coronavirus is less contagious than influenza. If this and another test are negative, medical personnel will call the state health department to test for COVID-19. If after testing the patient turns up to have coronavirus, what is the procedure? He says, if the person is stable, I will send him home with instructions to avoid contact with family and friends for 14 days. Only if the patient is in serious condition, he will have to stay in the hospital. The doctor suggests that only one family member enters the isolation room, of course, using all the necessary protection and trying to stay six feet away from the patient, who must always wear a mask. Ailen del Toro, U News. It's a complicated process. And the growing coronavirus outbreak is unnerving for adults and even more so for children. So how should parents put their children at ease? Dr. Scott Needle is a pediatrician and chief medical officer of Elica Health Centers. He's also a member of the Council on Disaster Preparedness at the American Academy of Pediatrics. Thanks so much for joining us today, doctor. Thank you. Good day. Thank you. So how do parents start a conversation with their kids in regards to this outbreak? For example, I have a five-year-old at home, a newborn, but she doesn't understand this at all, luckily. It's not. 
Well, it, everyone is going to have questions. Adults are having questions. Kids are having questions as well. So many kids are going to their parents and going to other people and asking, what is happening with this? What, what is the coronavirus? What can we do? And if your child is doing that, that's wonderful. Talk to them. Be honest. If they're not coming forward with that, don't assume that they don't have the questions, though. Go ahead and ask them yourself. Ask, what have you heard about the virus? Are you concerned? What are, how is this making you feel? And take the conversation from there. What should parents make sure to reinforce with their children? Is it to keep their hands clean, to stay away from sick people, or what else would you say? I think those are very good steps there. Um, just like we're telling the adults, we want to tell the kids as well, here's something that you can do to keep yourself safe, to keep your family safe. And kids of all ages understand and they can be taught how to wash their hands the way that CDC and the World Health Organization are recommending to do it well, to take the time to do it, to sing the ABC song, to sing the alphabet song while you do it and cover all the surfaces there. And then after you do that, don't touch your eyes, your nose, your mouth. Um, these are the things that we want everyone to be doing here. Um, it's important to reassure the kids and to say, yeah, there are things that you can do to be safe. And beyond that, to let them know what other people are doing as well. Let them know that scientists and experts are looking at medications and treatments for people who do get sick and finding the best ways to keep everyone from getting the virus. Now, we all know that some schools have had to shut down temporarily while students get tested or perhaps the facility has to get cleaned. How do you recommend handling that topic if perhaps they're concerned if their school is going to close? I think it's important to, first of all, be honest with kids and let them know, yes, this, this may happen. Uh, get the kids involved and start seeing how they can be ready if in case the schools do shut down. Um, you know, maybe parents want to go to the store and buy a few activities, arts and crafts things, these sorts of things. It's important for also parents to be in touch with the schools or the child care centers. Um, make sure you have a good source of communication, good communication line, so that you can be updated when the schools give these sorts of updates here. Uh, it's important to reassure the kids, keep them in the loop on the information. Obviously, you don't want to overwhelm them, but on the other hand, you don't want to hide the information. You want to be upfront and honest with them and say, yes, this is what your school is doing. This is what may happen over the next few weeks. Now, be open with them, but at the same time, is there a topic that perhaps parents should avoid? Well, I think it's important um, to, first of all, uh, keep that conversation going. I think if parents try and avoid the topic, they give the kids the impression that, no, this is too scary. This is not for kids to talk about. Kids are going to feel that. They're going to feel much more upset than they would be otherwise. So keeping the conversation and being honest and upfront with them is important. Also, it's important to validate how kids are feeling. Uh, if a child says, you know, I'm, I'm worried, I'm scared about what's going to happen, it's we're not doing them a service by just shutting down that conversation or saying, no, don't feel like that. It's perfectly reasonable to be concerned with everything that's going on and then to talk to them about that. Say, OK, well, let's talk about why you are feeling concerned or why you're feeling scared and how I can reassure you to help you um, feel confident that people are doing good things with this. You know, life keeps on going on a daily basis, but should parents be fearful of taking their children to places with large crowds? I mean, spring break is right around the corner for many schools. 
It's a very tough decision right now, um, and we're experiencing that in our health center. We're trying to take our guidance from the public health officials, from our county, from our state, and we're waiting for them. Certainly, we're telling parents, you know, don't take any unnecessary risks. Uh, you know, if you know you're going to be in a place where there's likely to be sick people, it's best not to go there. Kids aren't being affected nearly as much as adults, which is one uh, silver lining that we're seeing with this virus so far. But all the same, we don't want kids to get sick. We don't want the kids picking up the illness and giving it to other people who may be more vulnerable here. As far as the public gatherings, again, um, we're taking our cues from public health department and waiting for their instruction. And I would recommend that uh, parents do the same thing as well. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Scott Needle, for all your advice and for helping parents will be a little more at ease. Have a great day and take care. You too. Thank you. Thank you. The race for the White House taking new shape today after Elizabeth Warren dropped out following that disappointing Super Tuesday finish. Now Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden are battling for her endorsement. This morning, Elizabeth Warren's endorsement is up for grabs. Well, let's take a deep breath and spend a little time on that. We don't have to decide that this minute. Overnight, Bernie Sanders courted Warren supporters. I would love to have her disappointment, but today what I'm doing is reaching out to the millions of strong supporters that she had and to tell them that her agenda, uh, what she fought for in the campaign, was far closer to what I am fighting for than uh, what Joe Biden believes in. Progressives are hoping she'll back Sanders, who needs a boost after Biden's Super Tuesday surge. I was told at the beginning of this whole undertaking that there are two lanes, a progressive lane that Bernie Sanders is the incumbent for and a moderate lane that Joe Biden is the incumbent for. And there's no room for anyone else in this. I thought that wasn't right. But evidently, I was wrong. But so far, the recent wave of endorsements have largely gone to Joe Biden. In upcoming primaries, Michigan's governor and senators from Illinois and Arizona all backed the former vice president. For now, Sanders indicating he will continue to sharpen his attacks on Biden. Political establishment was very, very nervous. They consolidated around uh, Joe Biden. Uh, and Wall Street is emptying its... Uh, checkbooks to fund uh, Joe's campaign. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Bernie, you got beaten by overwhelming support I have from the African-American community, Bernie. You got beaten because of suburban women, Bernie. You got beaten because of middle-class, hard-working folks out there, Bernie. You've raised a lot more money than I have, Bernie. Biden calling Warren in a tweet, one of the fiercest of fighters for middle-class families, adding, we needed her voice in this race. This is now a two-man race. Warren now reflecting on all those pinky promises she made to little girls across the country. That's what girls do. All those little girls who are going to have to wait four more years. Um, that's going to be hard. The decision will be tough for Warren. Ideologically, she lines up with Bernie Sanders on many issues, but the focus for the Democratic Party is defeating President Trump. And many say Joe Biden would be the best choice for that. Meanwhile, in regards to the delegate count so far, right now, Joe Biden continues to maintain his lead with 638 delegates. 
Sanders has 563 delegates. A federal judge criticized Attorney General William Barr on Thursday for his handling of the Mueller report when it was released last spring, saying Barr's early description of the report did not match the special counsel's actual conclusions. The judge called Barr's actions a calculated attempt to help President Trump, adding that Barr showed a lack of candor with the public and Congress. And now to some news on the economy. Hiring in the U.S. jumped in February. Employers added 273,000 jobs, evidence that the economy was in strong shape before the coronavirus hit the U.S. The Labor Department said that the unemployment rate fell to 3.5 percent last month, matching a 50-year low. However, economists expect hiring to slow in the coming months. A federal appeals court in California last week ruled that the U.S. government policy that required migrants to remain in Mexico while applying for asylum in the United States was a violation of both U.S. and international law. The court has allowed the policy to remain in effect temporarily. But as Jaime Garcia reports, the clock for the administration to overturn the decision is quickly winding down. You have to fix the asylum situation. The Trump administration has six days to convince the Supreme Court to overturn a federal appeals court in California that ordered the termination of the program of migrant protection protocol, also known as Remain in Mexico. Uh, they looked at what the statute says in the Immigration Act and they said, look, people who are coming to the border requesting asylum and protection, they have to be given a very specific procedure, a very specific process. That process does not include sending them back to another country. The deadline was issued by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And unless there is an emergency intervention by the Supreme Court, starting March 12, migrants seeking asylum at the California and Arizona border cannot order to remain in Mexico. Those are covered uh, in, under the Ninth Circuit. Uh, this decision does not apply, for example, in Texas. We cry and beg to the Border Patrol agent not to send us to Mexico. The Ninth Circuit ruled that the Remain in Mexico policy has caused extreme and irreversible harm to the migrants. A lot of evidence was presented uh, that people who are being sent to Mexico are either being kidnapped, raped, robbed, in some cases assassinated. Uh, so the court did look at that and they said that can't happen. Justice Department lawyers argue that a stay of this program will create a rush of thousands of migrants that are waiting in the border with Mexico, creating a national security threat. It's difficult to accept that argument knowing that in the past we've had similar situations like this. Immigrant advocates explained that the original decision by the judge did not require the government to immediately allow re-entry of all asylum seekers, but contemplates an orderly unwinding of the policy. The Supreme Court now has the last word. In Los Angeles, Jaime Garcia, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, U News on Fusion. 
Welcome back to You News. Former Ecuadorian President Rafael Correa could be looking at a maximum sentence if convicted of bribery. The country's attorney general requested Correa be sentenced to seven years in prison if found guilty. The former president is accused of receiving funds from Odebrecht from, for his political movement. In exchange, Correa allegedly gave contracts to the Brazilian construction firm while in power. Odebrecht is Latin America's largest construction company and the subject of the largest corruption scandal in modern history. The Vatican has announced that it will send an investigative commission to Mexico in late March to look into cases of sexual abuse allegedly committed by clergy members. The Roman Catholic Church began investigating four Mexican bishops last May for allegedly covering up cases of sexual abuse of minors. It could mark a turning point in the world's second largest Catholic country if the church's investigations lead to prosecutions. Mexicans lit up marijuana cigarettes and bongs outside the country's Senate building on Thursday as lawmakers inside move toward approving a bill to fully legalize marijuana. The measure is expected to pass the full Senate in the next few days and move to the lower chamber where it will likely pass as well. The measure marks a step toward changing the country's approach to the drug by removing it as a source of income for violent drug gangs. And listen to this. Venezuela's leader Nicolás Maduro wants women to have at least six children as a way to boost the country's population, population which has seen millions of people flee in recent years to escape its economic crisis. Maduro made the demand during a televised event Tuesday evening for a government program promoting various birth methods. More than 4.5 million Venezuelans have left that country since 2015 due to a crumbling economy and deep political divisions. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.